0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Jeff Field who's currently taking a break from the media industry after being made redundant by Today FM in September last year. Jeff has been working in radio for over 35 years, having started as a 16-year-old at 2ST in Nowra in the late 1970s. We chat about his rise from ordinary newsreader to national celebrity, why he's so passionate about marriage equality, and if he's prepared to patch things up with Kyle Sanderlands. Jeff is someone I've known for over 20 years, so I hope you enjoy our chat. Jeff Field, thanks very much for joining me on the Media Mates podcast. It's a pleasure, Ralph Tucker, and we are mates. We go back to 2GB. We go back a very long way. Normally, I start these interviews by saying to people what they're actually, the job they're actually in now, but you're on, uh, as you've described it to many people now, your long service leave. <laughs>
1: That's that's the best way I can say it. Uh, it. It really is in a way. I mean, when you've been with uh, one station for almost 19 years and uh, you are no longer with them, and when you've been in the industry since the age of 16, I'm now 53, I'm calling it long service leave. I think that's a fair call. I think that's fair enough too. Let's go
0: back to that Start point for you, sixteen years of age. Yes. Now it was the South Coast, wasn't
1: it? Correct. Originally from, yeah, Nowra, Bomaderry, to be precise.
0: Okay. Was it always radio for you? Was it always that that fascination? Did it go back to when you were a kid listening (laughs) to
1: it? What's the story there? The story there, I I was obsessed with the radio. Uh, You ask my mother, I would go up onto the roof of our house to put the aerial of the radio up so I could listen to Sydney radio stations. Um, I was always the person in the car fiddling with a car radio. I can remember dad saying, stop fiddling with the radio, Jeff. So I was just constantly obsessed with radio from as long back as I can remember. Uh, I used to listen to the top 40 countdown. I used to, I love the news. I can remember like people thought I was a nutcase because I was, you know, seven years old and I would listen to the half hour news on 2ST or Macquarie news as it was then. Uh, still is, but, uh, yeah, I can remember that midday, half-hour news. And so I was obsessed with radio, and um, I started going up to 2ST to, to do work experience when I was about 14. Right. Um, I must say my father was friends with a general manager down there. That may have helped. <laughs> um, and it got to the point, I think, where they just thought, we've got to employ this guy just to shut him up. Right.
0: So, so did you leave school at that stage? Or? Well,
1: I did my school certificate. Mum wanted me to go on and do the HSC. Yeah. Which, um, no, I'm glad I didn't actually. Uh, I was offered the job um, one week. They, you know, do you want to come and work for us? So I left school on the Friday and I started work on the Monday. And I haven't been out of work since September this year. Okay. So what did, Last they, year. What did, what did they have you doing uh, originally? I was initially doing Mid Dawns. That was a great show. I could. Well, I was supposed to play the songs that were in the playlist, but I must admit I used to throw a lot of my own favourites in. Um, right. So was that with records and yeah, carts and, carts and, and all of that kind like of stuff? That, all that stuff. I can't imagine yeah. you DJ Jeff. <laughs> and here's the latest record from John Paul Young on 2ST, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not where I wanted to go, and I used to hang around the newsroom a lot. Okay. Um, and I can remember uh, David Reed was the newsreader then. Um he left, and I took over. Um, so here's a 16-year-old ringing the mayor of NARA, setting the agenda for the day.: uh, Wow. And uh, at that stage, you know it was long before the Internet, long before other stations. So I was basically giving the people of NARA and the South Coast their news every morning at the age of 16, if only they, they had have known how old I was. Um, Do you still have tapes of that?: Somewhere? I think they're down down uh, the south coast, and I know you want them, and I'll find them. No, um, no. When no. was the,
0: when was the last time you would have actually like pulled oh, them out and had a listen to them? What what would have a sixteen year old Jeff Field reading the
1: news sounded like? I'm fascinated by Apparently that. Apparently, my voice hasn't changed that much. I uh, I was one of these uh, teenagers that uh, had their voice drop at at about the age of fifteen, so it hasn't changed much. Right. So what you're hearing now is probably what you heard back. At 2ST in Nara, Wow. It must have been a fascinating
0: time back then because regional radio was the lifeblood of the, oh. the community. Not so much now with all of the networking that goes on. There's probably still a touch of
1: it, but to work during that era and that period must Amazing. have been really exciting. Very exciting, Ralph. To, to any younger people listening, uh, networking was, there was virtually no networking back then. Uh, John Law's show uh, was networked to, to a lot of stations. However, 2ST was all local. The breakfast show was local. <laughs> all through the day was local. Uh, countdown at night was local. Even the mid-dawns, which I got my start on, was local. Um, so there was m- much more job opportunities back then because the network networking hadn't taken such a, a stranglehold on the industry. And radio stations had money to employ people back then as well. They certainly did, yeah. Um, I, can, I can't remember what wage I was on, but for a 16-year-old, I was smiling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, and, and as you say, was the lifeblood of the community. People would wake up to hear uh, the news. They would wake up to hear what was going on. We even did funeral announcements and lost dog announcements on the station, which, you you know, people might find that hard to believe, but that's the sort of community radio station it was. And at night... I can remember every kid at school would listen to the uh, top forty countdown, yeah you'd ring in and vote for your favorite song. Um, there was no internet to vote then um, and it really captured the community because there were no other distractions. kids couldn't sit sit in their room and you know have use the playstation or or hop onto the one direction website and just listen to one direction all night yeah they had the radio. It was either the TV or radio. And there were only two two TV channels then, the ABC and Win TV. Yeah. So there really weren't many distractions. Who were your mentors in the early days that helped you
0: as a 16-year-old working in a a radio station to, I guess, bring you up to speed in terms of learning the craft of radio?
1: Well, there were quite a few. Um, Trevor Sinclair. A man I very much respect. He went on to great success after 2ST at uh, 2SM when it was in its heyday, 2UW. Um, I'm sure most of you would know Trevor. Um, he was one of many. Um, Steve Blander worked at 2ST in NARA. And All I right. was, I was at school when Steve was on air, but I can remember listening to Steve and just thinking what an incredible voice, what an incredible delivery Steve had. And I, I think I've always, in one way or another, been inspired by, by Steve Blander, by uh, hearing his uh, dulcet tones um, before I left school. Um, but, look, so many people have helped me along the way. I, I, there's too many to list, but, um, yeah, I've had some some amazing people help me in my career.
0: You mentioned earlier the first time we met was at 2GB in 1995. Yes. I was a work experience kid that came in and went and... Moved on to casual work fairly quickly. Yep. You were the weekend newsreader at that stage from yes. memory. How did you end up at 2GB? Where was the, the path progression from Nowra to end up in that, that great
1: newsroom that was in Sussex Street? Okay, well, I'll go through this quickly. I went from 2ST to a cadet at 2SM back in the days when every radio station had cadets. We're yep. talking 2CH, 2KY, everything. Then, then which I suppose there must have been like almost... A hundred newsroom jobs back yeah. in those days. Then I went back to Two WL okay. in Wollongong, um, and I worked with people <coughs> like Sandy Eloise, uh, who I who uh, is another person that mentored me and I respect so much. I stayed in Wollongong for uh, uh, till about 1987, and then I went to Two UW, which is now Mix. Yeah, um, or Kiss. Yeah, kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Had a few incarnations. <laughs> um, then went to 2GB, started off on weekends and uh, nights, and then was moved into, uh, Afternoons where I did read news for the likes of uh, Alpha. It was never dull. Ron Casey, Yes. Ita Butros. Was Mark Day in the mix Mark there day at some was stage? There? Yeah, it Darren was... Hinch at one stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, they were a great times. The, 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 the thing that left the impression for me is when I first met you, and it, it's continued to this day, is that you've always been someone that's been very respectful of whoever the person may be. So I was the work experience kid and as soon as I'd walk into the uh, the room you would uh call me by name you'd genuinely ask how I was and I think that's been a trademark having worked with you now at other radio stations is that you've always had that ability to keep people on the same level so whether it's the whether it's the general manager or whether it's the 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 janitor thanks to Jeff Field um You've always shown that respect to, to everybody. And I think that that's an important thing to, to, to get across here. Is that something that was instilled in you by your parents or
1: well, first of all, Ralph, thank you very much. That's so lovely to hear that. Um, yeah, my mum, my beautiful mother, um, she always taught me that you treat everyone the way you want to be treated and. In some ways, that may have actually held me back some in in my career at times because I treat the cleaner the same way as I would treat the general manager. Uh, If I see the cleaner out there, I'll say, hello, I'll ask them how their day is. The general manager comes and I'll do the same. And, you know, there are some people that, you know, ignore the the cleaner or, or whatever work experience kid yeah, yeah. And, oh yes and when the general manager comes in it's like you know bow down mm. and you know I understand respect of course yes. I, I respect people in senior positions but I think we're all human beings and we're all on this planet together yeah that's the way Mum taught me yeah
0: um, that two GB newsroom for a young kid walking in there was just such a daunting experience because mm. you had so many great radio people in there. Alan Baskin and Ian Ferguson. Jason Morrison was Oh, there. a young Jason Morrison was in there covering at, fires. At that stage. He was amazing what yeah. Jason did. Um, yep. It was a really, really great Dynamics. sort of place to, to sort of uh, – I was speaking to Michael Packie last week and he reminded yes. me of, of John Roberts.
1: Oh, John Roberts. Who
0: used to record the,
1: the BBC because it used to be an hours news at midday. I can remember that. Uh, after I took over from Ian Ferguson, uh, my first – uh job was to do an hour long midday bulletin yeah now i'd get in there at ten thirty, and the first thing you would think about was how the hell am I going to get a one hour bulletin together, yeah, and you had a staff of about probably about 20 people. You had, you know, two people in the Canberra Bureau. You had two people at state parliament. You had the amazing Patrick Burns doing police reporting. You had uh, amazing backup people in the newsroom. So it wasn't that hard because you would do your first 10 minutes. Uh, a lot of them you'd be throwing to court reporters, parliamentary reporters. Then you would uh, do another 10 minutes of uh, of, uh National news. Then you would go, you would cross to uh, someone who would do the, the international news. Then you would do sport. Yeah. Um, you would recap, and before you knew it, the hour was up. Oh, well, was, they, they, even the sports department then, you know, for a young person it was... John Harker, Will, Bill Fisher. It, yeah,
0: for interested in sport, like you had Bill Fisher and Gil Taylor. Gil Taylor, Taylor and, wonderful Yeah, yep. and, and, you know, uh, later on, later stage, Andrew Moore came along. Yes. And so there was, there was, you know, six or seven minutes I think you had uh, to cover for sport at, at midday, which for me that was just like a goldmine. But uh, things have definitely changed, and... It wasn't long after that that the newsroom actually
1: closed. Do you remember that day? I certainly remember that day, and I'm sure anyone involved in that decision would would actually admit it was probably one of the worst decisions made in Sydney radio. Um, to close down a newsroom at a station that was called News Talk 2GB yeah. probably wasn't a good idea. So what they did was they called us in one by one, and it was terrible because it was... Oh, it was it, horrendous. It was almost like pitting one person off against another because one lot of us were told that we would be required to turn up to uh 2WS, WSFM, as it was... Was
0: that at Seven Hills? At then? Seven Hills. Yeah. So...
1: um I think about seven of us kept our jobs and the rest of the newsroom lost their jobs. Yeah. Everyone was terminated. So, of course, the people naturally at WS, the last thing they wanted was us moving in en masse. It was an influx of an influx of 2GB journalists because there weren't the facilities there. There was still only the one studio. Yeah. Sorry, there were two studios, but so we basically commandeered the studio that they used to use to, to, you know, produce things and. And to uh to cart stuff as it was called back in those yeah. days, so uh there was a lot of uh ill feeling and angst and I, on both sides because we were still expected. So to, you 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 were you were one of the lucky ones. You I was one of the lucky ones. to move
0: to WS because that day that the decision came down, Patrick Burns. Yes, I remember in that it. meeting. <laughs> that's mm. a, that, that's that's a vision that I'll I'll, I'll never
1: forget. I'll uh, never forget that. Patrick spoke his mind. Um, and uh, It was inspirational in a way. It was inspirational. I won't say exactly what he said, but let's just say that he told the management what they were doing wasn't a good thing. That's probably a good way of saying it. Yeah, absolutely. But but they still expected the same product yes. from the newsroom, even though there were seven of us out at WS. Yes. I can remember getting phone calls from uh, Mark Day's producer saying, oh, you didn't have that grab in the news that, you know, we just spoke to so-and-so from the ACTU and you didn't have that grab. Well, we didn't have the facilities to sit there monitoring 2GB news. It, yeah. uh, sorry, monitoring 2GB's program, program yeah. let alone the staff. So I think that only lasted a year before 2GB reinstated their newsroom, maybe 18 months, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, something like that. But um, it, it was a disaster. And yeah. I, I, I actually I can't, still can't believe it
0: happened. So you were there at, at WS for yep. a period of time? Yes. Before uh, getting the call from
1: I, Mandy Wicks? Yes, Mandy Wicks. Uh, I, she called me in uh, March of 1997 and said, Jeff, would you like to come and work here at Today FM, Triple M? I uh, thought about it for two seconds and said yes <laughs> <laughs> because, look, things weren't going too terribly well at 2GB back in those days. Uh, that that. Yeah, you know, as I've, we've gone through that. So I I, I arrived at uh, Bondi Junction and uh, my first job was to edit news on the Andrew Denton Breakfast Show. Okay. Uh, Tony Matthews, the wonderful Tony Matthews, who's now reading news on 702 in the mornings. Yes. She was reading Breakfast. And I loved that job, but uh, I wanted to be on air. That was, you know, my forte. Yeah. As much as I enjoyed editing. So – after 9 o'clock, I would go and read news for Ronnie Sparks uh, on Today FM and then uh, The Soul Man in the afternoons. Um, and I got more and more into the fabric of Today FM. And before long, I was, you know, reading news across the day and then reading news with Jamie Angel, who's content director at Triple M. Uh, we had a lot of fun then. And... uh because that was a great, that was a great old place, that Bondi Junction, um, Absolutely. Studio. Because
0: again, I came a, across and I worked there for, uh, a brief period, amount of time in, in, in casual. But again, the, the first person that I see when I walk into that, that newsroom is Jeff Field. Oh, G'day, dear. Ralph. How are you going? <laughs> um, so it, it, immediately I found as I felt like I was at, at home again. Um, but you'd had such a, a great career up until that point yeah. when you were enjoying your life as, just a newsreader, yes. and then how did it happen that you were catapulted into another stratosphere, yeah. <laughs> which was the juggernaut of the Kyle and Jackie O show?
1: Well, what happened was I was, as I said, I was reading news for Jamie Angel, and uh, this is back in the days before people were listening to you know, iTunes and stuff like that. 2003, it hadn't taken off. Facebook hadn't even been invented. So you would, you know, the the magnitude, the effect that Today FM had, I've I've used this example many times. You would walk down the mall of Bondi Junction, you would hear the same song. You know, the Spice Girls probably, 1997 folks. Mm. Um, You would hear the same song in every shop because everyone had their radio on. It was an amazing place. Triple M was doing well. Today FM was doing well. It was like I can remember I think at night, uh, ugly Phil and Jackie O had 70% of the under 40s audience. Unbelievable figures. Extraordinary. Um, extraordinary. um so yeah, it, it was an amazing place to be. But anyway, I was, I was reading news for Jamie Angel and between six and seven, we used to have, uh, an hour of power. It was called, I think. And, uh, Kyle Sandelands had just started working with us. He'd been with us for a while, and they got Kyle and Jackie on to do the Hour of Power a few times, and it was my job to come on and do the traffic. And as Kyle and Jackie do, they got me involved in a few things. It kind of worked. I can remember there was one particular day I went to a Kylie Minogue concert. I came in and I said to Jamie Angel, there's no way I can read news because I was screaming last night. He's, Jamie just looked at me and said you're reading news mate so <laughs> by the end of the day i had no voice i was i sounded like this yeah. and so Kyle and Jackie just turned that into a whole segment into a whole segment for the hour anyway that was the end of 2003 i got a call from Jackie we went out and had uh, drinks that night at the cargo bar she asked me if I'd like to become their national newsreader for the national new National Drive Time show. Of course, I jumped at the chance. And uh, she said, oh, we just want you to be yourself on the radio. I said, well, yes, of course, no problems yeah. there. So went away.
0: Had- was, that, was that weird? Was that a strange feeling going from, okay, what you trained as being a, a journalist and a, and a newsreader was to be very independent and very serious and now – uh, there was very few people around that, newsreaders, that yeah. were included in shows. There were like guys like David White who had, had uh, you know, jump mm. in sections, but they weren't made out to be massive personalities yes. that, that you were turned into. So was that a difficult that
1: transition s- for you? No, Ralph, because at that stage I had no idea what was about to happen. Right. Um, in, I just thought, well, they, they'd like me to be their newsreader and maybe ask me the occasional, yeah. you know, question about... News, whatever. So 2004 the show started and I can remember the very first week of the show, Kyle and Jackie came on and was talking about what they did with their partners on the weekend and then Jackie said, so what did you and Jason do? And I was just telling them about I think you know, we went and saw a movie and we drank some red wine on the Saturday night. And the next week there was a radio column. Um, in the Sun Herald and it just said Sydney's first openly gay newsreader and I thought what I had no idea I seriously had no idea that it was going to cause such a fuss yeah so the fact that I was so open about what I did in my life I was just I just you know I just spoke about normal things that normal people do and then I became known as the gay newsreader and if you know friends of mine who are gay or friends of mine, actually friends of mine who aren't gay as well, used to say, how do you feel about being called the gay newsreader? And after a while I didn't mind it because it was a way for me to get the point across that we're just like everyone else. Yes. You know, I think Kyle and Jackie at times were hoping that I'd say, oh, we went out and partied all night and ended up in the gutter and Mm. (laughs) did this and did that. But half the time I'd say, no, we sat home and watched Notting Hill. (laughs) Um, But – Then as time went on, uh, I was more and more drawn into the show to the point where when we moved to Breakfast in 2005, I was really had to be in the studio the whole time. Right, because that was a big um, gamble from the station at the
0: time. Like Kyle and Jackie O had obviously built up uh, an audience on nights and then in in Drive, but after the morning crew disbanded, uh, then there was the Judith-Lucy experiment and then there might have been another... Show no. after that,
1: before Kyle and Jackie O came, they could it? have been, but uh, basically it was Judith Lucy in the mornings, and uh, I love Judith, but the show just didn't didn't uh, connect in Sydney. Um, the Drive show ended up being number one. Yeah. the Kyle and Jackie O show in in in, in Drive. So obviously, uh, the sensible thing to do was to put the Drive show on breakfast in two thousand. It doesn't always work though, like. Doesn't uh, it? Uh, other,
0: other, other shows have sort of tried that, that uh, transition to sort of go into
1: breakfast and, and have failed, but they were their own entity at that yes. stage. Uh, I can remember within, within about three surveys, we were the number one FM show. And I can remember the champagne and, you know. Um, what was it like being part of that? I can't describe it. You know, it's, I just wanted to be a newsreader. That's all I wanted to do in my life. Uh, Not all I wanted to. I love journalism. I love news writing. I had no idea I was going to become, uh, you know, this uh, third member of of a breakfast show. And I had no idea that, you know, by the end of 2005, I'd be having my uh, wedding broadcast on national television and national radio. Um, So it was like, it was kind of like looking back on it now, it was everything happened so quickly. Yeah. Um, You know, because you
0: never never knew at any given day, what was going to no. happen to you within the show. And I think your great skill and ability was to adapt to
1: that well and to virtually take it all on. I was my own worst enemy at times, Ralph. I can remember once uh, we were doing a segment about what scares you and I stupidly said to Jackie, I said, you know what, nothing really scares me. I'm not really scared of much, maybe, you know. A mouse running across the floor, but no, no, nothing really scares me. So, which, of course, the next morning, what happens? Scare Jeff to death segment is born. <laughs> and one of the first things I did was I think, uh, what did I, uh, they took me to the top of Center Point Tower uh, blindfolded, put me in a harness, slung me out over Pitt Street at the very top of the tower. Uh, got rid of the blindfold and had a laminated news bullet in front of me and got me to read the news. (laughs) Uh, I was beyond panicked. I don't know what's – I was in a catatonic state. Uh, Then I skydived. I was lowered into a pool at Manly, the shark pool, with uh, meat strapped to my feet. I was slowly lowered down. Lab rat. Thank you, lab rat, if you're listening to this. Mm. Um, Crocodiles unleashed into the studio, you name it. Um, but you know what, that was all fun that, that, that part of the show. I, I actually enjoyed because it was done in good humor, good spirit, maybe not good taste. I was going to say, what about being dumped in the middle of the desert? I enjoyed that. That was incredible. Really? It was great radio. It was great radio. And a lot of people say, was that a setup? No, it wasn't because this, this all had to be discussed with my partner, Jason, um, Obviously, they had to tell him that I was going to be away for a week. Yes. Um, the clearance at the airport, because they blindfolded me okay. to get me onto the plane. Obviously, it's not every day you see someone being blindfolded and put onto a plane, because I had no idea that I was being flown out to uh, Alice Springs. Um, I was taken from the uh, aeroplane to a hotel room. I found, a, found out this later, to a hotel room in Alice Springs, then picked up at 3 o'clock in the morning, driven out into the middle of the desert, still blindfolded, and I had earphones on so I had, couldn't hear anything. Huh. And uh, at 6 o'clock, uh, suddenly I hear in the headphones, the Kyle and Jackie O Show starts now. And I hear Kyle say to... Uh, the assistant, uh, the, for health and safety reasons, we yes. have a technician and an assistant following me. Okay. So they ripped off the blindfold and Kyle said, Where, what, what can you see? I turned around and all I could see was desert, which at first terrified me. <laughs> but I was given a map, I was given a compass, I was given a, a set of directions and the technical people that were with me were soon disappeared out of my sight. But I, I was soon on a road. I hitchhiked. And, it, you know, it took me a week. I eventually got back to Sydney. But I that was an experience. I, you know, I ended up at Ayers Rock. I ended up in a backpacker hostel. I ended up sleeping in Shannon Noel's bed in Connemundra or wherever he lived. I forget. Condoblin, I think. Condoblin. Went to the RSL club with his brothers. Um, it was, I can remember, a truck driver stopped and picked me up and, and drove me 200Ks uh, because his wife had been listening to the Kyle and Jackie o Show in Sydney and said to keep an yeah. eye out for me. So that's an experience that you could never take back. So some of the things they did um, were amazing. You know, being in their TV commercials and uh, I can remember being down at Edgecliff Railway Station and seeing this huge poster of the three of us dancing. And thinking, my God, this is not quite, quite how I expected my career to go. Were you worried at any stage that the career that you'd
0: forged to that point, that you were going to lose credibility yes. As, yes. A, as, a, as a newsreader oh, and just yes. become known as a sidekick? Yes, yes. How did you deal with
1: that? I dealt with it thanks to Jason, uh, who's the rock of my life. I used to worry about other journalists thinking, what are they going to be thinking when they hear hear all of this? And Jason sat me down one night and said, Jeff, you've been given an opportunity. You've got a platform to get your views across. You get to actually argue with Kyle about issues. You get, you know, you've got a platform that can reach hundreds of thousands of people. Um, Don't worry about what others think they would have done the same if they were offered a lot of other people, if they were offered the <coughs> position, the money, the whatever to do my job, they would have taken it. So I thought, I'm just going to r- jump on this train and ride with it. And I did that from 2003 to 2010. And for the most part, I don't regret it. I had a wonderful team of people backing me up in the newsroom. They know who they are. Yeah. Um who wrote news for me because I didn't have the time to write news because I was on air every second break, yeah. whether it was interviewing celebrities or But whatever. from
0: my, my time then when yeah. I came in and you were well established at that stage and I came into the newsroom and was part of the editing staff, Yes, you always had views on what should and should not have been in the news, um, which to me, from someone working behind the scenes, I don't know how it came across on air, but I kind of felt that you always still had an impact
1: on yeah. what was in your bulletins. So
0: one, you, you, you actually retained some control. Yes,
1: thanks, Ralph. I, one thing I was determined to do, one of the things people used to say to me is they would tune in to hear the news, to hear Kyle and I have it out, because I can remember there were times when I'd run stories about no smoking zones being introduced in the city of Sydney, and uh, he would get on air and say, that's that's a load of crap, whatever, and I would give it back to him and give my point of view. Yeah. Uh, I know you're supposed to be impartial as a journalist, but at that stage I suppose I was. uh, Crossed the line. Yeah, I'd crossed the line. People wanted to hear what I had to say, or at least I hope they did. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I was never going to be intimidated as to what to run or what not to run. Yes. And I certainly had um, wonderful backup. In the Today FM Triple M newsroom, um, but if there was something I wanted to put in or something I wanted to take out, I often would. I'd use, I'd tell the journalist that was writing the news for me what I, you know, that I was going to change something because yeah. I had respect. I al- always have respect for the journalist, so I think I still maintain the integrity despite all the ridiculous things that were going on around me. The, Does that said, make sense? Ralph? Yeah, absolutely. You said
0: before that. That change from serious journalists to being part of the show yeah. gave you a platform. People that know you know you well that obviously one of those things is gay marriage and it gave you yeah. a huge platform. Yeah. It, to I guess embed yourself in the social conscience and get that message across to people. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been a long campaign.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think it's been worth it? Yes. I was only speaking to my um good friend Alex Greenwich yesterday the member for Sydney. And you know, we're hopeful this is the year that it's finally going to happen. We've got plebiscites and things but you know, public opinion poll after opinion poll. People just it's like England and Ireland, let's just get it done with. We can move on, the world will keep spinning. It's I'm I'm optimistic it's going to happen this year. It's funny when we did that wedding all those years ago in 2005, even though we had a great response. You wouldn't have had the lion's share of support, though, no. I thought. Oh, I can read the opinion polls for something like, I think, 70% against gay marriage back in those days. Right. And after we did the wedding, we went on the 7.30 report, we went on, you know, Today Show, Sunrise, to argue with uh, our opponents. Um, you know, I've lost count of the amount of rallies and... Um, meetings we've been to over the years. We even, you know, got to lead the Mardi Gras, I think it was in 2007. So we've certainly been campaigning, well, not us, but thousands of people across the country and the marriage equality group. But I'm confident that it's going to happen. And why do you think public support has changed? Because I think people know that gay people just want the same rights as everyone else. We just want to have the choice. You know, I've got, I've got. uh gay friends who say, why do you want to be like the straight community and, you know, go by their traditions? I uh, say, so, well, you should have the choice. If you want to be single and footloose and fancy free, fine. That's, I don't have a problem with that, but we should at least have the choice. And let's face it, marriage really is uh, a platform for you to get up and in front of your family and friends and say we're a committed couple. I'm not saying it has to be in a, in a, in a church that doesn't want me. I, uh, it could be secular marriage. Um, but the point is we should be given the chance to marry. What do, you what, say, what do you say to the opponents? I say to the opponents, fear nothing. Go, go over to Ireland, go to the UK, go, go to other countries that have legalised it. Uh, How would it change their lives? Nothing's changed. It will not change their lives, and I guarantee that when gay marriage is legalised in this country, I will shut up. <laughs> There will be no more fun I was going to say, well,
0: what, what are people like you and, and your supporters going to talk okay, about then?
1: We <laughs> we'll find something else. No, but seriously, I think people in years to come will look back and think, what was all the fuss about? Uh, Jason and I, we're just like you're here in our house. We've got our pet cat. Um, we live our life like everyone else, and we've been together 23 years. And I think we're entitled to get married um, so it's a recognition thing, it's, right? It's a recognition. A s- civil partnership, no. That that's for a dog or a cat. Uh, I I want to actually get married Um and, Yeah, and if the Catholic Church don't, yes, if the Catholic Church don't want to marry me, I don't want to get married in the Catholic Church. I you know I don't want to go where I'm not welcome. I'll find a church like the MCC where I am welcome. Well, the Catholic Church has got its own problems. We won't go there. But uh, look, you know, as you say, Ralph, when it's finished, when it comes to its conclusion, and I believe Australians are fair-minded people, I believe religious, non-religious people are fair people, and I believe it will pass, we will shut up. How frustrating is it to look at the leaders of
0: our nation? And I I bring Kevin Rudd and Mm. Julia Mm. Gilada's examples where when they were in the position of Mm. power, they weren't able to put the change forward that you would like yet yeah. when they leave, they suddenly turn their views around and i i I kind of look at Malcolm Turnbull and i I see him and uh, I see someone who who wants to change, but that that powerful position of being prime minister of the of the country you've got a lot of people there that you're making decisions on a well it, it now seems that it's it's turned that it's going to be a, a
1: a popular thing to do, but whether they've got the the backbone to actually do it. Gee, Ralph, I uh, what you've just said. Then how? Where do I start? Okay, Kevin Ryder and Julia Gillard. I can remember questioning both of them because you know that's one of the things they used to allow me to do yeah. on air. Um, and. When I asked them why they opposed gay marriage, all they could say was that marriage is between a man and a woman. They really couldn't add to that.
0: Well, it's but a stock standard line. It's, a, I think stock, it's G- a great line.
1: John Howard, I think, was yeah. the one that originally used it. And so. they kept using it. They, you know, so you basically get nowhere with them. And then all of a sudden, after they lost the prime ministership, they suddenly saw the light on the hill. Oh. Uh, and, look, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take their support. But I yeah, it, it's very disappointing that they suddenly see It's not the real light. it's not real leadership, right? Well, no, of course it's not. And Malcolm Turnbull, I believe he is pragmatic. That's the best way I can describe it. I wish he would be stronger and just say, No, I'm going to introduce a bill into the parliament. But yeah. he has to keep the right of his party happy and he promised I think one of the ways he got the leadership was by promising to have a plebiscite, which is unfortunate because it's going to be a waste of money. It's also going to cause a lot of angst for young gay people. That's the thing that disturbs me most of all because I've been involved in groups that deal with bullying and you would, the, the amount of gay and lesbian teenagers who have been mentally affected by hateful comments is absolutely disgraceful, and if we are to have a plebiscite, this will give the people opposed to gay marriage not only the chance to voice their opposition but actually to uh, fan hate. And I'm not over-exaggerating because I've heard some of the arguments and it's going to a sixteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old out in regional New South Wales hearing all this stuff about them just makes them think they're not worthwhile and it can lead to all sorts of problems. So I wish Malcolm Turnbull would just grab the issue, put it to a vote, and and it would go through. But instead we've got to go through the plebiscite. But I believe that's because he did a deal with the right to become Prime Minister. On the flip side, do you
0: admire somebody like Tony Abbott and John Howard, for the fact that, like
1: you, mm. they've had a view and they've stuck to their yes, view. Yes, I do. And you know what? Some people, some friends of mine are going to be horrified when I say that because I'm, uh, I'm neither left or right in my politics. I voted both ways. I voted independent. I have voted almost for anyone. Well, there are you know, certain parties I would never vote for. <laughs> I won't mention them. What's a crocodile farm? Um, (laughs) But I admire people that hold on to their views. Doesn't mean I agree with them. You know, I vehemently disagreed with many of Tony Abbott's views and John Howard's views, but at least they were consistent.
0: You got the courage of their convictions, right?
1: exactly. So I'll give them points for that. But that doesn't mean I I support them. But I I wish other politicians, hello Malcolm, would uh, just hold their conviction and, and get on
0: with it. The Kyle and Jackie O Show gave you that great platform to become bigger than just a newsreader and Mm -hmm. gave you that, what we said before, to get out there and campaign on on various issues. It got to a point where it just wasn't fun anymore. Mm. Um, Correct. And you had to move on.
1: Yeah. um, Was that hard? It was hard, and it's funny. It was in March of 2010 when I left the show. I was angry, um, like anyone would be I suppose bitter, but looking back on it now, I just look back on the good times I had on the show. I reconnected with jackie that 's great and um, still waiting still waiting to talk to Kyle, but you never know um, so
0: would you would you meet with him would you of course m- i would. Men, uh, men, i don 't
1: with Kyle i don 't hold grudges against anyone, even though a lot of my close friends would know how angry I was at the time. But that's, hey, that's life, and you've just got to learn to let go. Um, I had some great years on that show. It propelled me to, um, gave me a profile I never thought I'd have. In fact, it can be damn annoying at times. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but you know what? I'm looking back on those years at Today FM with Kyle and Jackie and with Hamish and Andy reading news on their show, even though I wasn't really part of the show, as as, as I look back on the good times. Let's forget the last six months where I wasn't enjoying it. I guess in some ways it was kind of like a blessing because I saw
0: you during that period and the tail end of that period. Mm. People don't understand that don't do breakfast radio. To get up an ungodly hour for, I think for you, it was five or six years, I think I did similar, it takes its toll on you. So to be given, even though you moved off that show, which was such a great time, you also, when you took on that afternoon role,
1: you look more refreshed and re- relaxed because you weren't getting up at those ridiculous hours. My heart goes out to the breakfast presenters and the breakfast newsreaders, the breakfast staff in the industry. Um, it's tough. You know, getting up, you know, I, I, when I first started there doing Andrew Denton um, and, you know, moving, I, I must, you know, I probably did, you know, 10 odd years of, of getting up early. And, and while I was with Kyle and Jackie, there are a lot of times where I'd be doing um, overnight stunts where I was in a caravan park and remember being in yeah. a ca- caravan park in Penrith and being dumped in the Richmond River or wherever it was in the freezing cold. Um, I can remember having my house raided at 2 o'clock one morning as part of a stunt for the show. Um, so there was not only the getting up early, there was the mental thing, you know, can, can you get to sleep at night? You're, you're constantly thinking about what's going to happen the next morning.
0: People think, oh, okay, that's great, you're finished by midday, you can go and do a whole lot of stuff, but... The way I would describe it, it would be it's
1: very much like being in a permanent Home stage space. of jet lag. Yes. Oh, it was. I mean, yeah, I know, I know we went over. We did, like, you know, so many opportunities. I got to go over it and and um, do the Oscars with them that week. We did the show out of the Beverly Hills uh, Wilshire, the yeah. Beverly Wilshire Hotel. So you can imagine what that was like doing the breakfast show. You couldn't work out, you know, is it daytime, nighttime, whatever, and by the time we got back I was... I was literally a zombie on top of just the normal getting out of bed. Mm. So physically, I think it took its toll on me. Um, but as you got your profile, I seem to recall you burning the candle at both oh, ends a few times. You know what? That's one, <laughs> that's one of the things you, with, with a profile comes invites and, um, you know, Jackie's great because she, she would go to bed early and, you know, get up early and manage herself well. <coughs> for a while there, I didn't because you know, I can remember being invited to host Kylie Minogue's 40th birthday party at the Stonewall Hotel. I think you might remember that morning. Um, you um, came in. Sure I did. came in the
0: next morning. Um, for, and- pe- for people at home, we used to sit next to each other. And <laughs> Jeff came in that day and... Thank you. Can he we was, stop the broadcast? He was, <laughs> he, he, he was nodding off to sleep, shall Thank I you. say.
1: Well, I also have my suspicions about that <coughs> night because, um, hmm, let's just say that uh, I think that uh, Today FM was there to capture every moment of uh, my performance at the party. And I think that uh, the bar staff may have been encouraged. To give me the odd extra champagne, but you're anyway, not yeah. you're not <laughs> you're not suggesting a setup at any I'm stage not. for the nah. for the sake of radio ratings I at all. Jeff. I suggest a setup, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it, it, it's funny as as your profile grows, you get invited to to everything that opens and shuts. So I can remember hosting Mamma Mia, the the film. There there was the Today FM listener party, so I did that. Then there was the main premiere in the next theatre with, you know, I think it was Morris Yemmer and the cast of all the soap operas and everything there. I went in there to do it and um, this was unexpected. They just said, Jeff, can you come in here and give an intro? And I said, yeah, no problems. They hadn't checked the sound, the lights, so I went in there. I literally, the feedback from the microphone when I switched it on was so loud that it almost deafened people. Um, then the spotlight on me blew halfway through something went wrong with the beginning of the film. And I can remember Ros Rains was sitting in the front row and she wrote something in her column the next week saying, Jeff, we love you as a newsreader, but as, as as an MC stick to your dancing. Um, (laughs) but yeah, there were all those sort of things that would happen. Um, and in the end you just had to say, right, no going out Monday to Friday. Yeah. Off to bed by eight o'clock. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Like, uh, I know, like, um, people like Glenn Daniels, who, you know, I admire so much. He, he used to, I think he gets up earlier than I used to. And um, to do that for, for, for as long as Glenn has, for instance, re- requires discipline. And I kind of learned that a little late in the piece. But yeah, you've, if you're going to do breakfast radio, you got to, you've got, you can't even go out for dinner because you're looking at your watch all the time. You're thinking, oh, my God, it's 8 o'clock and the entree hasn't arrived. So you just got to say no, no going out Monday to Friday unless it's something really special. You mentioned that you moved to drive and you
0: enjoyed that period, but it came to an end last year. That must have been a rude shock for you, uh, given all of the time and service that you put in at uh, Today FM
1: um, and Southern Cross Austeria. It was a rude shock. It was disappointing, but you know what? That's life, as Darren would say. Um, I had a great run. Uh, can you believe 18 and a half years of the one radio station? I, someone said to me that it's, I was the longest serving FM newsreader in Sydney. So I, 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 I'm so proud of that. And, um, I had a good run. And after the anger and the disappointment, I'm now in a, in, you know, you've probably read this in the newspaper in the last few days. Um, I'm in a happier place than I've ever been. And I'm not just saying that. Well, we started off
0: by saying that it, that it's your long service leave. And it's a really great way to reflect on what you contributed. Do you feel like you probably in, 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 even though it was terrible at the time
1: that you kind of needed that break? Just to recharge the batteries and get going again? I did. You know, for the first week of my holidays, I could not stop thinking about Well, you'd go through through a whole range of emotions. Yeah. Jason said to me when we got on the plane, I I lost my job on the Wednesday. We got on the plane on the Saturday, actually. And Jason said, we're on the plane. Have a glass of champagne. Forget about what's just happened. Now, easier said than done. Yeah, easy. I, I reckon a week into that holiday, I was just kept fixating on, you know, what have they done? You know, I was angry. I was annoyed. But then we sat down and had a really long talk, and it was like a, what's the word? A, um, a light bulb moment. A light bulb moment. Yeah. Thank you, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Uh, a light bulb moment for me. I just thought, you know what, for the first time in my or, life. Or an epiphany, moment. Yes. For the first time in my life, I don't have to set an alarm clock to go to work. Well, I'd be a bit worried if you were setting your alarm clock when you were working at 1.30 (laughs) in the afternoon, (laughs) Good point. No, but but for the first time in your life, not to have a job to go to is quite confronting, but it ended up being freeing. And I'm very fortunate, Ralph. I, I feel terribly sorry for people that lose their jobs and don't have the financial or emotional means to cope with that. I'm lucky I have both. I have Jason um, and financially I'm, I've looked after my money and there's no need to work in those regards. Of course, I want to get back into the workforce in the next few months because I'll go bored, bored. But at the moment I'm enjoying travelling with Jason. I'm enjoying just doing things. I got on the hop-on, hop-off bus the other week, can you believe That's it? That's fantastic. I'm thinking of getting on the Manly Ferry after I sit, after you've gone. Oh. Or maybe not today. It's raining. Yeah, it's a bit rubbish. Um, But I'm just enjoying just taking a break. I've had some wonderful friends in the media offer me work and um, I'm going to get back to them. I might do a bit of casual stuff. Um, I'd say by the middle of the year, I definitely want to be back in full-time because the media is in my blood. You know what it's like. Yeah, 100%. It's, once it's in your blood. Now, I have made comments. Funny, after, after I lost my job, I was contacted by the media and I spoke to a few media outlets and I said, you know, I don't know even if I want to stay in the industry, but I do. Of course I want to stay in the industry. Towards the end, you
0: were getting frustrated, though,
1: with the path that news was
0: taking, yes. the emphasis and I spoke with a few more experienced guys like Glenn Daniel and Murray Olds mm-hmm. that our fixation and our fascination with celebrity is overriding the proper news of the day. And, and yes. that, that, that was something that, you know, your Kardashians and your, your, your Justin Bieber's of this world and the, the, the interest level in, in, in that totally. was something that had you frustrated towards the end anyway.
1: Absolutely. Now, I understand the demographics of Today FM and other FM stations, but that doesn't mean that your audience isn't, isn't entitled to uh, intelligent news. Sure, run your story about uh, Justin Bieber in in Australia and his concert at the back of the bulletin, but don't lead your news with it, you know, when there are you know, uh, floods yeah. and fires or, or people, millions of people starving um, oh, Paris terror attacks and, and, yeah. and things like that. So th- that's my concern. I don't want to be a stick in the mud. I get, I get that, um, certain FM stations are looking for a s- demographic, but that doesn't mean that you have to, I use the term dumb down the news. That's what I was going to say next. And that's not aimed at any individuals, by the way. That's, that's aimed at the culture. Um, I, I, I really think there is a way. And I know there is a way because we used to do it. There is a way that you can still talk about your bus strikes, your political leadership challenges, your uh, natural disasters, and also put in your stories about, you know, Taylor Swift's concert or, you know, uh, Miley Cyrus getting engaged, whatever. You can do all that stuff, but you throw it in at the appropriate time in your bulletin. Do you think people are not being taught right? yes. That might upset some people, but I don't think there's the time. When I got into radio, I was mentored. I had, I was a cadet. I think people are pretty much thrown in at the deep end, and it's no one's fault. It's just the way the industry is because it's so fragmented. The money isn't there that there once was because, you know, as I said, there's so many choices, digital radio, YouTube, whatever, Um, I think some program directors also have to carry the can for that kind of thing. They're, They're
0: not interested in news. They're interested in what promotes their brand the best. And having that say over news, I think, is plainly wrong. And it's also disrespecting the audience
1: as well by assuming, as you said before, by dumbing them down. I'll use the Kardashians as an example. Now, people that follow me know my thoughts on the Kardashians. I have nothing against them. In fact, I have no feelings for them one way or the other. I, sorry to say this, but I don't care whether Kim Kardashian's sister has a new pair of shoes or it's whether. It's not the news. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the news. Can we please focus on something that inspires us or, or, or you know, no offence against that family I was talking about, can we focus on talent? Can we focus on people that achieve something in their lives instead of this continual obsession about one family. Mm. And you know what? You might actually find you'll get more listeners. You'll get more Facebook likes or whatever, because I'm seeing a backlash against this. I'm seeing these posts go up and I'm seeing people saying, who cares? Will you stop posting about this? So it's actually as well, as well as, you know, it, it, it's a good decision to make is, is to stop this fixation, this tabloid fixation on certain things. You're an early early adopter of social
0: media, and you embrace it. Do you feel it is a bit of a double edged sword? It is.
1: I have to because stop. you build you build a great following. Let's be fair. Yeah, I, I I got onto Twitter early. I can remember when Twitter first started. Actually, Danny Minogue was uh, hosting the show with Andrew G, and I got I got I actually got Danny Minogue onto Twitter, and um, she was like thinking, "What is this thing?" And at that stage, I was thinking, yeah, it's, it, it'll be gone in 12 months' time. So it's it's a gimmick. A fad. Um, but we've seen what's happened with Twitter. We've seen what's happened with Facebook. But you've got to be careful because I became addicted to it. I'm sure I was. Um, Jason said, stop. It's always Jason that fixes me, isn't it? Jason said, stop. When we go on the holidays, you are not to go on social media so that like the last – holiday we went on, I think I posted four pictures. Yeah, I was gonna say you do you do break. I break it occasionally. But I've learned to cut down my time. So what I'll do is in the morning I'll do my posts and then I will say, right, I'm gonna do nothing. You know, I've got I actually want to cut it down more. Again, it comes back to discipline, right? Because you lose time. You're sitting there on social media and before you know it, you've lost an hour of your time. Oh, it's a rabbit hole. And all you're doing is scrolling through stories. You're not actually looking at depth you're looking at headlines, you're looking at pictures, you're looking at funny videos, cat videos, whatever. And so my aim this year is to um, to um try and balance my life more. I think you've got to go out and experience life. It's like when I was at the Elton John concert, there were two people in front of me that spent the whole time watching the Elton John show, an amazing show, his last show at the Sydney Entertainment Centre, watching it all through the prism of a tiny screen, a mobile phone. And I thought to myself, yep, we all have to get back to reality a little more. And I, love same, techn- the, I love technology, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm the same with
0: sport and concerts and all of that kind of thing. Put your phone in the pocket. Enjoy yeah. the moment.
1: Enjoy the moment. Um, reality. Uh, it's like on holidays. Uh, there's nothing wrong with taking a few snaps because um, you probably will go back and look at them at some stage. But if you think of all the holidays you've been on, how many times have you really gone back to look at all the pictures you've taken? And I was seeing some people on the cruise ship. They spent the whole time on the cruise ship taking photos, more time than they did actually seeing the sights or just just being in the moment. So um, it's just an interesting observation, and it made me think that some people on that cruise ship must have taken thousands of photos thousands of videos, but how many times will I actually go back and look at them? Um, so, yeah, without preaching, um, my little piece of advice to people is maybe just every now and then um, try and reduce your uh, your Facebook, your social media use, and just go out and smell the roses. It's like kids that go home from school in the, in the school bus who are just constantly looking at their phones. When I was a kid, I used to look out the window I got to know everything. I got to know every cow between narrow and bombardary, <laughs> every paddock, every shop, every... So, yeah, just, yeah, I, I don't want to sound like a stick in the mud because technology is an amazing thing. Absolutely. It, it can be such a positive thing, but it can also consume people. So just keep an eye. Keep an eye on things because I know I have to. Continuing on that
0: path and translating it to a work point of view, what would your advice be to anyone looking to break into the radio industry. It's getting smaller by the day, but there'll be still young people out there that'll be aspiring to work as newsreaders, work as presenters. What would you say to them?
1: Well, Ralph, I get emails every single week from people wanting to know how to get into either radio or newsreading, particularly those that have been at the universities and colleges. And I always say persistence. It's the only way to get into radio these days. You can't give up after getting a knockback. The industry is so small. There aren't the cadetships, the internships, those sort of things that uh, you and I had. But I'm positive, and I would say to anyone that wants to get into the industry, ring the news director, ring the program director, do not give up. Don't pester them. There's a fine line between pestering them and being off their radar. Because when you're on their radar, you never know. There could be a job comes up where they need you to come in and do hold a microphone, even or, yes. or, or do the traffic. And getting your foot in the door is the main thing. I've said to people, you can't come in and expect to be a newsreader straight away. You can't be the next Hamish hey and Andy. You can't be the next Kyle and Jackie O. You've just got to get your foot in the door. Once you get your foot in the door of the radio station, that's where you've got the chance to shine. So you've just got to keep plugging away. Ring directly. Don't send emails because you know everyone's got emails coming out their ears. I remember I'll give you an example. Jason Morrison, when he was uh, doing I think I think he was doing work experience. And one day he, he used to hang around. <laughs> And Jason won't mind me saying this. He would hang around. He was always around us and he was great. He, he just showed so much promise. And one day about five people called in sick. So we called Jason. We got him in. I think there was a fire at the Willoughby girls high school. He went out and covered it. He, I still remember his report. It was amazing. He was, he, he was there and he was talking about, I'm standing here outside Willoughby girls high school and I can see terrified. Young girls trying to get out the window, like just painting this amazing picture. And he got a job, and as they say, the rest is history. So it's being in the right time at the right place, yes, but persistence—that's the main thing. You've just got to, and you've got to. you, You don't want to go in to be a star or to be famous. You want to go in because you're passionate about journalism, about news reading, or about being a radio announcer. We touched on it a little earlier. What's the future for Jeff Field? The future for Jeff Field is I'm about to book another trip. <laughs> uh, <I don't, coughs> seriously, um, I'm just enjoying having a break at the moment. I've I only let, I've only been out for three months, and as I say, I've I've worked all this time, so I'm going to. This is my long serv- service leave. In, in all seriousness, so I'm going to enjoy my time with Jason. I love travelling. Who doesn't? Um, I've got the means to do it. Um, so I'm going to do a bit more of that. I've got some casual work I'm looking at. I'll let you know. Um, Maybe a beer with car sandalades? Who knows? I, I, I never say never to anything. I never rule anything in or out in my life. Uh, but radio stroke media is in my blood. So I would like to think that by the middle of this year that I'll be back in the workforce. So watch out. Watch this space. Jeff Field, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Ralph. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: There he is, Jeff Field. and I must say he's looking very refreshed and relaxed and hopefully he'll be back on the radio sometime soon. And if you really enjoyed my chat today with Jeff, please let him know by sending him a tweet at Jeff Field. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It'll mean you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.